welcome to another episode of This Is HCD. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a human-centred design practitioner based in Sydney, Australia. Before we jump in, however, as this podcast is recorded in the Sydney CBD, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation as the traditional custodians of the land where we meet today and pay our respect to their elders, both past and present. In this episode, we caught up with Tara Van Amerangen, a group director from Fjord in Sydney. Tara featured on another episode with Megan Dell around what does human-centred design leadership look like, uh, which is well worth a listen if you haven't already listened to it. And after recording that episode, we got speaking about service design and business design. Anyway, in this episode, we get down into the nooks and crannies about what a business designer does, how it complements service design and activities, and much, much more. This was a really insightful conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did being part of it. You might remember in the last episode, we had a small giveaway for a voucher for More Than Metrics, the guys behind Smapley, and this is Serves Design Thinking book. The voucher is for MrThinker.com, and that was won by Cyril in Sydney, so congratulations, Cyril. We have another 40-euro voucher for use on MrThinker.com, and the keyword to send in is Touchpoint. The contact details are in the show notes below. So let's jump straight in. Today we've got Tara van Amerangen from Fjord. Uh, Tara, thank you for joining us. Good morning. Morning, and we've also got Mark Tanzridi, of course, the co-host of This Is HCD. Tara, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you were on the podcast recently, but tell us a little bit more about what you're doing at Fjord at the moment. Sure. So I would say I'm a businesswoman in love with design. So not from a traditional design background, um, but came into contact with it a few years ago. And now I run the Fjord team of designers. We have business, service, visual designers, creative techs all across Australia. And I look after Sydney and Canberra. Ooh, okay, right. That's a pretty big role at the moment. So today's podcast is Why Your Idea Never Gets Built. Uh, the story of business designers as the unsung hero of service design. Tara, you came up with that topic yourself. So w- <laughs> what's your origin of this topic? Yeah, what I've noticed is a lot of amazing creative people I work with, they spend so much effort and really, you know, you put a lot of yourself into your ideas. And I see that we work for clients where we give these concepts to clients mm-hmm. and then they don't go anywhere. They kind of fall flat. They land or they are put into a pack and, and put in a drawer from a stakeholder. And you see that the designers really want things ultimately to go live. They want their ideas to be set free in the wild and people to really use them. And the key thing in that process that I've learned is that if we don't translate to the business why they should care, and not only is the design beautiful and functional, but it will also improve their business metrics. Mm. If we can't make that that last logical conclusion, the business won't grab hold of it and run with it. Okay. So for, I think a lot of our listeners, they may have heard the terminology of a business designer, but um, in my experience in Australia in particular, not every organization has a business design function. So tell me a little bit about what you understand business design to be and also what business designers do. Sure. So I think on most projects you have Everyone knows about the three lenses of desirability, feasibility, and viability. And we know, you know, that we're supposed to start with desirability, start with the user first, or you know, the, the company staff and that the people ecosystem first. Then once we have some ideas and we understand what people really care about and what they want, we often move to the other two lenses. So feasibility in terms of technical feasibility or capability or brand permission, what does that look like? And that role is primarily done by a solution architect. And then when you move on to viability, 
this is this element of will this make a difference and turn the dial on our P&L, on our balance sheet and our income mm. statement. And business designers really care about what does that look like. They answer those questions of what's the cost benefit of this opportunity space? You know, how will it improve our NPS scores or some of the metrics that are involved in a business? And you really speak the language of the business, what matters to them. The other element of business designers is they look at what do you do first? What does the roadmap look like? How are you going to measure design once it's put into an organization? So what I'm really interested in is how business design serves design and almost UX as well, like how they work congruently in a project. So what's your understanding of, of how the business design function sits within that triage? Sure. So if, for example, I have a typical pod of people, I'll have uh, usually service, visual and business design as sort of the core basics and we'll build out the team bigger if there's larger scope. The service and visual designer, the visual designer will be looking at brand identity, the format of the deliverables look like. So is it something visual or a video or is it a coffee table book? Mm -hmm. um, how will we build out the, the screens and, and bring things to life to make it really tangible? Mm -hmm. The service designer will be primarily involved with the users and the research and setting up the interviews, creating the insights and concept development. The business designer will still be doing research, but it's more about having empathy for the business. So in the first half of the project, they'll mostly be doing stakeholder interviews, but also collecting data to understand where are the spikes financially in the organization. Also, what is sort of at the lifeblood of the organization to drive behavior? So what are all the KPIs? people are metricated on and mm. how is that really driving behavior for the business which is the enabler of the customer experience. Mm. Everyone does all of that work together and then when we have our co-creation workshop and concepts are developed the business designer will then look at what's the size of the prize for each of these concepts. So if you have three concepts that are all amazing in terms of desirability but one will make a significant difference financially mm. we can give that advice to a, to a client. And then at the end when you have the concepts the business designer will work on the roadmap. So what would you do first? And quite often you have a scale of mild to wild, ideas that are a bit boring, the brilliant basics. You have some more that are a bit disruptive and, and really would turn the dial and change your organization and, and step change. Mm. And the business designer will find out what can this business do first? Where right. do they have capability? Okay, so what's the differences between, say, a BA and a business designer? Good question. I, I started my career as a BA on these sort of large programs, and a BA is really concerned with requirements gathering, functional and non-functional. They go out to the business, they say, what are you looking for? And, you know, you make a big list and it gets prioritized and you feed it up to a big long list of prioritized requirements and traceability, and they will all get built into this big monolithic system. A business designer, however, knows that if you ask people what they need, they're limited by the imagination of what they know today, mm -hmm. and they often don't know what they want. Um, so a business designer is going to take inspiration from many other parts, but they will also be looking at the business model. They will look for opportunities for innovation to say, what if we were to outsource or insource this? What if we changed the pricing model? What if we decided that we're going to use different IP for this or, or partner for something? What if we were actually going to change the channels we use to deliver this value proposition? Mm -hmm. So a BA is very much a more limited view of a project and it's just taking from one place to another and aggregating what people know to be true today, mm -hmm. whereas a business designer is more strategic to look yeah. for possibility and also to pull more levers to come up with, with different ways of working. Yeah, so it's more BA being more tactical, business design is definitely more strategic. Absolutely. With so if you were to look at the business model canvas, 
the service designers are looking at that sort of top right in terms of value, value proposition, proposition of customers, and the business designers are playing with the price and cost elements yeah. and potentially some of the operational elements. And then I say you look at the edge of the business model canvas and go, where would this live? Is mm. it its own brand? Is it a co-brand? Mm. Are you doing a spin-out, a spin-in? What yeah. should the model look like? So it's quite similar to the role of a product manager. Like I know if Adrienne Tan, who's, who's recently joined us, if she was here now, she'd be like saying, we, we do all those functions as a product manager. So like, how do they work together? Is that something that a product manager would bring in a business designer? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think the business designer does a lot of upfront strategic work like value pool analysis, Mm -hmm. understanding the size of the price for opportunity spaces, then looking at cost benefit for ideas. And that naturally forms as the fidelity of the project and the concepts become more and more specific. The product manager takes over more in the build phase. Mm -hmm. And they're really juggling all the different requirements, the stakeholders, the feasibility. They're kind of, I see the day-to-day product manager to make sure that the user vision comes to life as well as all of those things are met as they're putting it together. So the business designer probably tails off once it becomes very much day-to-day running, building. Yeah. Tara, before we started recording, um, we were discussing a little bit about an interesting aspect where you recently, not only were you working with a client, but you actually went beyond the client relationship and you went to the category of clients down in Melbourne recently. So tell us a little bit about that and why you did that and where it originated from. Yeah, part of business design is really looking at ecosystem design. So not only what a single company and a single problem space they want to tackle, but we know most of the the easy challenges have been solved. And a lot of the hard problems to solve yeah. are ecosystem and they require many players in the, in the market. And part of business design is to find out who else should you partner with or needs to be part of that solution? Who's actually in scope mm-hmm. for things like affordable housing? You know, what would it look like if you got... UTS School of Economics and a Lend-Lease and an IKEA and the City of Sydney and um, say a, a consumer group on affordable housing together to look mm. at affordable housing. That would be quite cool. So what we did is we took network providers, retailers, users, uh, sort of advocates as well as active detractors and other areas, even a, a radio show host uh, for the energy sector. We pulled them into a room and said, what does the future of energy look like mm. in Australia? And the interesting thing with that is the incentive models for each of those different players. Consumers wanted solar panels on their roof and to be off-grid. The networks wanted more people to use their networks because, of course, their costs are going higher because it's spread against fewer users and they have fewer predictability. The retailers just want to sell more of their, their product. And as you went through all the user groups, they all have disparate you know, interests and incentives. Yeah. So us coming together as a group saying, what does this new future ecosystem look like? And then where's the gap? was really a game changer in mindset in terms of how we're going to work together to solve that ecosystem and what could it look like. And I think the biggest value add was getting everyone around the table. It's never happened before. They've Mm. never had empathy for one another working in groups and tables to say, well, that person wants something entirely different than we do. Hmm, we actually have to work together to solve this. It's crazy to think that you can actually pull those businesses together because I know like the chances of getting, say, bank one and bank two in the same room together and laying out their strategic yeah. um, in, openness. In this case, it was the same. The retailers didn't want to be in a room together, but we had to explain this isn't a competitive environment. You're there to represent your area of the industry. Hmm. Um, the regulator in the end didn't show up, you know, thinking they would get pounded by the group. But it's all about the spirit of curiosity and it's all 
in a positive spirit and it's about partnership and working together mm. and at the end of the day everyone was clearly very pumped to say what's next there's this huge hunger for what are we going to do now that we've all met each other and now we get each other and now we know that we can solve this together yeah so like in the the role of the, the business design like what role do they play in those kind of workshops yeah so i play the role of saying what is the incentive model look like who are all the players what do they care about but also, how do they see value and how do they see success? Mm. So is it network usage? Is it the number of kilowatts you sell? Is it uh, for a consumer to say, I want to have energy autonomy and I want to feel like I'm doing something good for the environment? Once you're able to map those out and see what everyone mm. cares about, then the empathy starts with each other. And then you start saying in this new ecosystem, all these people still provide various services, but mm. who should provide what service to the end customer? Who should have control? Where should the data lie? Where should, you know, pricing and, and how does everyone get a cut, which is very different than what it looks yeah. like today. So going back to you touched on value there. What value were you trying to define? Because obviously value is different based on each of the, the clients that you would have brought into that room. Correct. And value is also very much, we, we see with many of our clients, value is really shifting from economics to information and data. So the conversation, just like any other workshop, started going, well, where's the data created? Where's visibility? How will we share it? And it always came back to control, which was really interesting. And you see that in many markets where people say, well, who's going to have control? And the question is always, well, should it be open? So you see this you know, in, in the blockchain world with Ethereum, like, should it be an open network or a closed? And we had the mm. same debate when the internet came to being, should it be open or closed? And that conversation is replicating itself across many industries. Yeah, and it could snowball as well, I'm sure, because depending on the clients that you got in the room, value sets are different and motives are, are different as well. The other thing is about sustainability. You mentioned there a little bit about, in that sector, about, I think it was energy, you said. What role did that play as regards the value set? Yeah, it was an interesting one. Um, from a user perspective, users hated coal, and that was sort of the, the common enemy. And people really thought that green energy is the most responsible thing to do, not maybe realizing that having your own solar panels on your roof is not the most economical way to go. Mm. And that was really interesting. Me as a renter, for example, I would really value being part of the solution, but the cost benefit for me is spread between the person putting the infrastructure on the roof, which is my landlord, mm. and me as the user who would benefit from that. So inherently, that's a business model challenge for a business designer to say, how do you take the cost benefit and put them in one place yeah. where need recognition and also resolution are sitting with the same person with the same cares and interest in it. Otherwise, mm. you, you create these sort of fragmented models. Yeah, no, absolutely. So just going back to the topic that we, we set out, like why idea never gets built. Let's talk a little bit about that, like, you know, and how does business designers, obviously, if they were introduced into a project, how they can actually maybe help your project or help your ideas get built? Yeah, well, what I'll start with is what I've seen quite often where it goes wrong. You go into a client and you give them all these amazing ideas and they're really excited and you almost mm. overwhelm them. Here's 12 concepts to change your life. You know, We've I sound like a, a self-help article. 12 ways, you know, make yourself amazing in, in Pick five Pick your favorite days. child. Exactly. And... They're overwhelmed and they're really excited, but there's these question marks of well, what do I do next? Mm. And there's even been sometimes fear from stakeholders going, you know, now I have to do all of this at once and I know I can't do it all at once. And it's just really overwhelming and scary. So a business designer will realize, A, we're not on day zero. There's already in-flight projects. There's already things happening. So let's first take that into account and map our concepts according to what's already happening in the business, mm -hmm. where funding and also support has already been gained for certain initiatives. And let's align our concepts according to that. 
The other part, understanding culturally, is that you should have concepts that are easy to grasp and implement quickly for the business to feel quick wins, for them to feel success and to show change. And those might be incremental, which is fine, but it gets the ball going before they're able to move on to some of the bigger stuff. Mm. So we always create this roadmap of, I call it mild to wild or short term, medium term versus long term. So they can really see, all right, in the next six months with the funding you've allocated, this is what you can do based on what's already happening in the organization and also the funding you have. Once mm-hmm. you've done that, move on to this, move on to that. And the interesting thing is they do start with the sort of easier concepts, but they always talk about the sexy ones that are five years away. We get the excitement going. Exactly. Yeah. And I think you need to have both. You need to have yeah. brilliant basics as well as disruption. Yeah. I think having something to aim at and a, a vision, like that big, sexy piece of work, it gets the stakeholders you know, excited and, yeah, and give more also, money. And Absolutely. But you also have to have empathy for the business to understand their maturity so some businesses um, have a really low capability for business case or even pitching for funding so I've gone into a client where we filled in the templates for them because we realized that they were filling them according to business metrics no customer metrics were on there so we've actually said here's a new way to fund and govern concepts here's the business case templates already filled in with you here's the prioritization for them over the next three years Hmm. based on what we know about your organization I don't think a lot of service design organizations do that today to really say I understand what you're dealing with and I've made it palatable for you Mm. and I've shown you a really clear plan that when I walk on the door you have an owner you've got the funding secured you know exactly what to do moving forward and then we can leave going something's going to be built yeah the culture is able to sustain those ideas yeah I know a lot of the service design consultancies that I've worked with they tend to stop at that point of passing it over and it's they kind of fall between the gaps of consultancy and the business culture. Yeah, and I think it's also a part of being a business designer and have empathy for the organization mm-hmm. is to realize, is it responsible to end if you know that the client can't do the next step? So you've sold a concept and if you know that they don't know how to do user testing or they don't know how to do a proof of concept or they don't know how to do an MVP, is that where you should stop? Should you be offering that service and extending it until mm. the business can actually pick it up and grab onto it? It's like a capability uplift. Correct. Or, you know, that's, that's a question for the organization. If you know that your end goal is to have this thing go live and they're missing some very key capabilities in between, do you feel okay handing it over into oblivion? Do you yeah. feel okay without making sure there's a warm handoff and the organization can pick it up? Yeah. So it's almost like the handoff. So going back to the topic that we were discussing, why your idea never gets built is... If you were to want to get your idea to get built, you need to ensure that the culture is able to to receive those concepts and execute upon them. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the most important things with working on clients is to identify who will be the owner in the business very early on. They have to stand by it. They have to understand the process. They have to understand how it will benefit their business unit. Sometimes it's that it will make them famous within the organization, particularly in corporates. And that's fine. You, you have to make sure that someone has everything they need in order to carry it forward. And one of the best things I did on one of my first projects at Fjord was our end showcase wasn't us going, hey, we've done this amazing work. Have a look at us. It was actually the business presenting to the business. Yeah. So each of the concepts had an owner and they were pitching to themselves, to the rest of the organization on why this was fantastic and why this should be built. That's the best outcome because our hands were off already. They were in the driver's seat already. So we felt comfortable leaving. And that project has half the concepts going live, you know, within the first year, which is really exciting. Yeah, that's incredible. That's great. All right. So Tara, you mentioned something there a little bit earlier about sizing the opportunities. And I've had a little bit of experience in the corporates where you've got many ideas coming out of that early stage research, that CCD, customer centric design type work. And you can end up with like 15, 20, 25 projects 
and you bring them back into the boardroom and you've got all the sea level and they're getting ready for their innovation day and their shirts are rolled up and um, they're looking at things on the wall. Walk me through what a business designer will do next. Yeah, that's a great one. I think uh, the business design would add value in that one, which is more of a consolidation exercise, um, mm. as well as looking for white space. So in the consolidation exercise, the business designer would say, there's actually this amount of opportunity in that area. They'll triangulate information and say, you should go into this one because the, the size of the prize is X. Before we even know what the concept is, this market is worth X value versus this one. And it helps the business just really understand which direction to go in. In addition to the level of pain that users are feeling, you have another data point to say, well, this is something that could be quite valuable. And that's really good. The other one is when clients want to go into, say they want to differentiate themselves or they really want to protect themselves against being in a single sector and they want to go into some white space. And we had this amazing brief from a company in Melbourne who is involved in digital marketing and they want to go into health and well-being. Mm. And they've said to us, it's a big market, we don't know anything about it, where should we go? Well, by the business designers doing some value pool analysis and say, well, prevention with this age group might be worth this amount of revenue and, you know, treatment in the medical sector might be worth this amount. And just creating these different sort of segments of customer and value, the business can say, all right, well, that will help us define our scope. And then the research will start with a much more focused scope that the business knows will turn out into economic value with the concepts. So you can do it at the beginning. You can also do it once you've had your ideation workshop and you have concepts and you can do sizing there. Hmm. And also when you've detailed it out and you're at the end of the project, you'll have a more detailed business case. So the business designer is basically, they work with the metrics of the, the stakeholders so they can help identify which opportunities to fund. Is yeah, that? absolutely. And the other one is uh, understanding as well, will this organization support these concepts? So quite often we see that there's always a reason why things are the way they are today and quite often it comes back to what people are really measured on. So sometimes we see in a call center, uh, they're metricated on call times. Well, of course the customer service is rubbish because you had to do this as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. So what would happen if you reoriented those KPIs to be about customer satisfaction and call times, mm -hmm. be efficient and accurate and make the customer happy. So we also, when developing the concepts, look at how will this be motivated by the organization through things like KPIs and metrics. So how does the business designer help, not encourage, but help the stakeholders to buy into ideas that are not just about the bottom line, like th that give greater benefit to the world? Yeah, I've redesigned business case templates for companies. Yeah, okay. So uh, being in-house, seeing that the business case today might be really just huge amounts of money and it's a finger in the air of saying, this is what we Why, think it will yeah. make. So why don't we actually ask, A, for a smaller amount of seed funding to go and experiment and try it out in the world. Yeah. But let's also add in the customer desirability metrics, things we actually know to be true and can measure on. So it's just creating a more balanced view of what we're looking at. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to do an NPV across five years or we're going to amortize it over 10. We're going to look at what's going to happen the next 12 months while we run an experiment. And if that goes well, we'll come back and do the business case in more fidelity. And if that comes back well, then we ask for the $40 million in funding. We're not going to go from zero to bang in one go. All right. So a final question for me before we pass over to Mark's uh, new segment of the, the three questions for Tara. If you, someone wants to get into business design and they're listening to the podcast, what kind of behavioral traits should a business designer have? It's someone who really has both an analytical mind and doesn't glaze over when they see spreadsheets, but also has the affinity for design. And I think it's someone who understands the power of both, but also can speak both languages. Mm. So you really need to understand 
why desirability is important and why service designers and why creating you know a physical prototype is so powerful mm -hmm. but you also have to understand that the people you're interacting with and your sponsors they live in a very different world and you have to have empathy for them to understand what they care about and take the time to interview them and also interview the data and pull those two together so if you for example can translate literally but also more conceptually in these two environments you're perfect for business design we get ex-strategists mba students consultants bas most of them coming from the business world who've been very intrigued and and definitely fallen in love with design and they make the best ones because they understand both worlds they have an affinity for both they can translate back and forth um, and they can put on both hats when they're looking at a problem space yeah excellent over to you mark so, Tara, you've been on the podcast before um, and you've already answered our three questions, so we've come up with three more questions for you. Um, the first question is, what's the um, best resource that you've come across in the last six months? Yeah, I think the one that's been most impressive and really opened up the ability to do research is these mobile ethnography solutions where people can do diary studies. An example is we had a project where we really want to understand pain and what does that mean and how do you measure it on a spectrum and, and how, do you, how do you help empower people when they're going through pain and what do they use in order to make themselves feel better other than just traditional medicine. So what this allows someone to do is if they wake up in the middle of the night with this chronic disease, they can do the diary study, create a video, talk about how they're feeling. And then we got nice. them to also record what do they do to feel better. And so some of them took a photo of their nightstand filled with 20 pill bottles. Some of them took a photo of their dog or their daughter or their bed, which was like a sanctuary for them. And it really made us broaden and think much more widely about how they're feeling, what pain looks like, but also coping mechanisms, mm. which would never happen in, in a traditional one-on-one, -on -one, you know, in-home interview. And yeah, it's interesting too, because it's you're doing it in the moment. You're not thinking back about if something happened previously, you might remember it differently yeah. as to... Exactly. Yeah, nice. And there's some great solutions out there. Um, Experience Fellow, we use a tool called D-Scout. There's many out there. I think give it a go. It's it's a different medium, but it allows some really great possibilities that yeah. are just not possible today. Yeah, they're great. I've used them as well. They're great. Uh, next question. Where do you think the industry will be in five years? Yeah, I think we're going to get better at integrating both data and design. We talk about living services where today we make a service that's good for today and once it's embedded, it starts becoming out of date. And I think building into our services ways to capture information and data and have it feed in to self-redesign what that service looks like is that next big thing. How do we use quantitative information with all the data that's present mm -hmm. and all the digital dust we're leaving around every day and incorporate that into new offerings in the market? Last question, where do you think that conventional wisdom is wrong? <laughs> Mark! <laughs> <laughs> At least in my industry, I mean, I work in design, but I work in consulting. I think the, the role of the expert and expertise is an interesting one. I still fight each and every day about we have to ask someone who has the answer and this conventional wisdom of because you've done it for 20 years, you must know everything. I think that needs to be broken, and um, I think that egos need to roll back a few and we need to start sort of rethinking and being curious again and not always look to just the the person who's self-titled the expert to really know everything users are the experts we need to follow them excess tara thank you so much thank you so there you have it i hope you enjoyed the episode and if you'd like to be part of the conversation or community hop on over to thisishcd.com where you can request to join the Slack community and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers from around the world. Thanks for listening and see you next time. <laughs>